Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, it's episode 31 for the love of the game. Let's get it cracking. Mike on. Mike is on. Studio episode 31, a little Joe Crack the Don to take us into episode 31. Uh, feeling pretty good. Uh, now we are officially in football season. Labor Day weekend has come and gone, and a part of me is now dead inside because beach season is pretty much over. But uh, here we are. College football kicked off its season this past weekend. A few big-time week one matchups. Sadly, it didn't go well for everybody's favorite recurring guest, Mr. Jordan Marks and his Michigan Wolverines who lost to Notre Dame over the weekend. The Miami Hurricane Hurricanes turnover chain didn't show up this past weekend either and is now dead uh, by the hands of the LSU Tigers. Nick Saban is acting like Nick Saban again. And that basically sums up week one of college football. So as I mentioned on episode 30, I got a chance to see Roger Federer live at the U.S. Open, as I try and do uh, every year. Yeah, it was it was the first round, but seeing Federer doing Federer things is always awesome. And by that, I mean that when he knows he's going to win, he tries certain things, certain shots uh, during the match uh, just to see what he has in his bag of tricks and what he doesn't have. And in between points... He has these trick shots that he hits to the ball boys. It's absolutely incredible and an insanely amazing experience to watch live. No other athlete in my lifetime can make a singular game look so easy at any given point. And then last night happened. In the round of 16, Roger Federer was facing an Australian by the name of John Millman, who was unseated. Federer won the first set 6-3, and most people, myself very much included, assumed he was just going to roll to an easy win. In the second set, something weird started to happen. Roger Federer forgot how to hit a first serve, and he served at one point at a 14% first serve clip, which is just beyond awful. And even then, early in the second set, he staved off seven break points and found himself up a break 
at four games to two in the second. So, yeah, he looked rusty. He didn't have his best game, but he was in control. He was winning points at the net in bunches. And then something else happened. John Millman started gaining confidence, which was shocking to see considering that he missed seven break chances early on in that set. Usually when that happens to an opponent of Roger Federer, they crumble. And if he's grooving at the net, they're going to absolutely fold and and really be intimidated. But but not this guy last night. He then broke Fed twice, which is crazy to end the second set. And after all said and done, he beat Federer, who's, in my opinion, I don't think this is going out on a limb, the greatest tennis player of all time in four sets. An absolutely huge upset at the U.S. Open. Just incredible theater. Uh, I was dozing off in and out of this match, and and when I woke up from my stupor, I couldn't believe that Federer was getting his his butt kicked in the fourth tiebreak. An unbelievable upset. As for the rest of the men's draw, well, Rafa Nadal... Juan Martin Del Potro and Novak Djokovic all look good. John Isner is still going as well. It's been a good tournament so far. As for the women's draw, well, I'm not really watching much of it, but Serena Williams should win the whole thing if she cares enough to do so. Big news in the NFL. Lots of big contracts were signed since the last episode. We'll start with Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Got four years, $134 million, over $100 million guaranteed, making him the highest paid player in the NFL. I mean, this is an absolute no-brainer for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP of the league every single year he's healthy. He's the only player, when healthy, who guarantees you no matter what coaching staff or what players are around him he guarantees you 10 wins and probably a playoff berth the Packers have a garbage roster around him Mike McCarthy is not a very good coach and they'll still make the playoffs if he plays all 16 games when healthy absolutely no-brainer for the Packers Aaron Donald, the defensive tackle for the Rams and last year's defensive player of the year, re-ups with them for six years, 135 mil, 86 million guaranteed. This took two years to get done. Donald held out for a bit, but uh, the Rams and Donald finally got it done. Aaron Donald is 27 years old and will be in his prime for the entirety of the contract. As I mentioned just now, he was the defensive player of the year last year and was rated by some people to be the best player in all of football, regardless of position, last year. This is proof why all top players should hold out as much as possible to gain leverage. Uh, Ultimately, it looks like it's going to be a good deal for both sides. Now, this one comes with a trade. Uh, Star defensive end slash linebacker, edge rusher, whatever you want to call him, Khalil Mack gets traded from the Oakland Raiders to the Chicago Bears for a 2019 first round pick, a 2020 first round pick, a 2020 third round pick, and a 2026 round pick. The Bears get Mack and, and a 2022nd round pick. Then the Bears signed him to a six-year $141 million contract with $90 million guaranteed, uh, going a little bit above and beyond the Aaron Donald deal. I mean, just wow. Uh, a lot to discuss here, but it's really, I mean, we're going to talk about the Raiders in a second because, my goodness, this is 
It's not very good for them. Uh, Khalil Mack is 26. He's the only player to make an all-pro at two positions, linebacker and defensive end, in the same year. He is one of the five best defensive players in the league by any metric. Why the Raiders traded him when they had cap space to sign him is insane. It's insane. You get cap space for players like Khalil Mack. Now, they did get a lot of picks in return uh, highlighted by the two first-rounders in back-to-back years. But if the Bears are as good as people seem to think they're going to be, that they're a team on the rise, those picks aren't going to be in the top third of the draft. The Raiders really, really screwed this one up. And it's been reported that he and John Gruden didn't get along or there was maybe some financial issues uh, due to the fact that guaranteed money comes from an escrow account. A lot of stuff, uh, a lot of nitty-gritty. But the bottom line is... The Raiders had to find a way to sign this guy, and they didn't, and they traded him, and the Raiders are really going to have a tough year this year. As for the Chicago Bears, well, odds that those first-round picks are going to yield a player like Khalil Mack are not very high. So the Bears have a QB on a rookie contract, which is one of the more valuable things you can have in the NFL these days. So they had the money to afford it. And because they won't be using a first-round pick on a quarterback anytime soon, the first-round picks really don't matter as much because you're bringing in one of the five or six best players in the NFL. It's an absolutely no-brainer by the Bears, who are a team on the rise. And as I mentioned before, we should be shorting the John Gruden era in Oakland, mortgage the farm to short the Raiders this year. They are going to be in a world of trouble. One note on the New York Giants, my New York Giants, the Giants cut last year's third-round pick, quarterback Davis Webb out of Cal, and Giants fans are all upset, and I really don't get all the anger. I mean, let's relax, Giants fans. He couldn't get on the field in last year's preseason. He was never, ever, ever going to play a meaningful down for the Giants. Yeah, botching a third-round pick stinks, but it's really not something to cry over because it happens basically every year. The reality is the Giants are going to have to use a first-round pick on a quarterback. They probably will have to trade up to do so. To think that they have the QB of the future on this roster is ludicrous. To think Davis Webb was ever going to be the guy is ludicrous. He was terrible. I mean, he couldn't, again, couldn't get on the field as a third-round pick as a rookie in preseason. I mean, Giants fans, why, why are we so angry? It's just it's just mind-boggling to me. Just let the guy go as a third-round pick. Enough is enough already. Um, before we get into tonight's guest, I have a few picks against the spread for week one. Now that sports betting is legal in multiple states, we're, uh, we're going to do it a little bit bigger this year. Um, I'm going to try and keep a tally for every episode that I do on on how I'm doing this year in terms of my picks against the spread. Uh, Four picks for this week. I've got Tennessee uh, covering one and a half, um, minus one and a half against the Dolphins. The Saints minus nine and a half against Tampa. Carolina minus three against Dallas. And the Rams minus four against the Raiders. I think those are your best bets this weekend. And now we're going to jump into a little daily fantasy sports talk with my guest coming up quite shortly. 
All right, uh, on the line uh, for this week, uh, I should say the latest installment of the For the Love of the Game podcast, uh, first-time guest, uh, fantasy football, especially daily fantasy football enthusiast, Mr. Iris Silver, calling in from the West Coast because we are a national brand here at the For the Love of the Game podcast. Ira, what's going on, man? Hey, Aaron, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. All is good. All is good. I, I'm I'm trying to get over the Tuesday lull that is after uh, Labor Day weekend, but uh, trying to push through here on the East Coast. I know uh, it's not a big deal for you LA folk because you get good weather basically all year round, but for us, we really have to savor these uh, the summertime and and savor the the summer weekends. Yeah, well, out here, out here, it doesn't uh, affect us as much. So uh, when it gets under seventy, we all start to panic, but. Uh... You know, it's been nice out in the last uh, few months, so uh, hopefully uh, it'll continue through football season. Yeah, and I hate your guts. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, obviously, you know, we're in the week uh, where the NFL season kicks off. Um, DraftKings and FanDuel and Daily Fantasy Sports is a multi-billion dollar business that uh, everybody seems to play. I dabble in it a little bit. You um, are more of an expert in it than I am. Um, So I wanted to have you on uh, because I think it's important for the listeners who are going to – a lot of them who are probably going to start playing it a little bit more now to get a little bit of strategy. So explain to me your strategy in in DraftKings football week to week. So in general – obviously we have the salary cap. Do you like to go balanced where you spend your money – um, somewhat equally across the board. Obviously, it's dependent on the matchups in in that given um, that given football Sunday uh, and Monday, and and possibly Thursday. Or do you like to go in and zero in on two or three high play, price players, and then fill your roster in around that? How do you normally like to do it? Yeah. So, I mean, everyone's strategy is a little different and everyone's roster construction is a little bit different, but the way I like to do it is I like to identify, you know, two of the best plays of the week and then kind of build my roster around that. So whether that be uh, a high price wide receiver, high price running back, or even a mid tier guy who's getting a, going to get a lot of volume that specific week because someone in front of him is injured or, uh, you know, suspended, something like that. Uh, generally for me, I'm, uh, I'm not spending too much money on the quarterback position. I'll just kind of pick my favorite play in the low to middle middling tier. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I construct my, that's my process. My process is just trying to find the two guys that I think are going to have a lot of volume that week, uh, whether that is a high price or a mid price or low price guy in terms of the running back or the wide out. Um, kind of build my roster around that. So you mentioned uh, briefly the quarterback position, right? Quarterback seems mm-hmm. to be super deep um, fantasy-wise. Obviously, when it comes to wins and losses, not as much. But because of the rules of the game uh, and the way the NFL is now being officiated, quarterbacks have have all the advantages. So you mentioned you, you, you generally will never spend on a quarterback um, on most weeks, even say for like a week one this week where Drew Brees, in my opinion, may be the best weekly fantasy play 
because he's playing against a terrible Tampa team and they're going to be on the field a ton. Yeah, so my my opinion in general is to find the best matchup that a, you know, lower middling kind of quarterback has. Doesn't mean I won't play a guy like Tom Brady, Cam Newton or Drew Brees who are like, you know, the top 3 uh price guys this week. It doesn't mean that I won't play them. But generally, if I'm trying to win, you know, and also another focus of mine is, you know, I'm playing tournaments mostly, so I'm not playing cash. So in cash games, you know, uh, I think it's, you know, you can have kind of a balanced strategy where you can, you know, kind of pick a a top, you can construct your roster on a top quarterback or a lower price guy. I generally like to construct my roster around a lower price guy, so, or a middle, or a middle type of quarterback. So a guy this week that I like in week one um, would be, you know, Andy Dalton. He's priced at 5800 which kind of middle of the road. Um, or a guy like Phillip Rivers, a little bit more expensive at $6,400. Uh, I think that they have, you know, Dalton's matchup against the Colts really sets him up to kind of have a nice day, uh, especially if Andrew Luck's shoulder can keep the Colts in the game and, you know, it can be kind of a competitive game. What I don't like about Breeze this week specifically, and he could very well be the number one fantasy play of the week, but what I don't like specifically is that he's playing against a terrible, and I mean terrible, Tampa Bay team, uh, who's without Jameis Winston. They're running back in the running backs in the preseason look terrible, and if they're up by three touchdowns at halftime, you know how much work is he really going to get, and how many throws is he really going to throw in the second half if they're up by three or four touchdowns? It's going to be, uh, you know, a big day for the running back situation um, in New Orleans. I think. Right, that that does make sense. Um, you mentioned tournament versus cash games. Uh, just explain to uh, most of the listeners what the differences are and where your strategy differs because of the nature of the uh, of the tournament versus the cash game. Right. So, you know, I've really kind of I really have gone away from playing cash. I think that you know with a lot of these optimizers. Uh, out there, which kind of op- you can plug in a couple guys and it'll optimize your lineup around them. Uh, I just think that cash game is not as profitable. Um, doesn't mean the GPP is, but when you are playing a tournament um, in a guaranteed prize pool tournament, uh, you have an opportunity if you construct your roster correctly to have a big score. So I don't, I don't play fantasy, uh, you know, daily fantasy for a living. You know, it's just a side hobby and something that I really love to do. So my thought process was, you know, let's construct a few rosters every week around my favorite uh, plays, pick guys with, you know, huge upside in tournaments, not necessarily the quote-unquote chalk of the week where everyone's going to be on. And if I'm right in my um, in my predictions and, you know, it could be a huge week where you can score, you know, you, you, you can have a million dollar score, a hundred thousand dollar score, a $50,000 score. Right. So that's kind of my thought process is, you know, I'm not playing this for a living, so I'm not trying to eke out $50 at a time building a bankroll. Um, you know, you, you, you know, you in cash, you can put in a lineup for, you know, five, 10, 50, a hundred dollars and play it head to head against an opponent, which is more of a conservative approach in your roster construction and try to double that up minus the rake, whereas in a GPP, you're kind of looking for a lot of upside. You know, you're going to play some chalk guys for sure, um, but you're looking for those two or three guys that are going to be low-owned 
but have the upside, you know, where they can have huge weeks, which can carry your team to a first place finish. Right, because the the thinking is that the chalk guys, a lot of them are going to cancel out, and it's that one or two, you know, low to middle price players, right? That that make the difference that can set you from winning, you know, depending on on what your uh, you know what game you play, twenty five cents to to fifty bucks to you know. Ten thousand. It, it it really comes down to one or two players, especially in a um, you know the the general cash game like like you mentioned. Exactly, and in the in the tournaments, I mean, you're talking about you have to create basically the nut lineup, right? You have to create a lineup which will end up number one overall. You know, especially in this million maker this week, I think it's going to be like almost three hundred thousand entries at twenty dollars a piece. I mean, you have to be almost three hundred thousand players. To win a million dollars so it really has to be like the most optimal perfect lineup um to win so you have to find guys who are going to be low percentage owned you know they're going to be somewhere between one to five percent or one to ten percent owned and you have to have a good uh, mixture of low low owned with chalk um with upside to to win a tournament which is very difficult to do don't get me wrong uh it's not it's not exactly like uh, playing GPPs for a living is is probably profitable, but it's it's more exciting in my opinion. Right. I uh, will get into those value picks in a second, but just uh, again, just getting back to overall strategy. Um, you mentioned the guys that you would go in on the high price guys are generally a wide receiver or a running back. On average. Uh, over the course of the football season, if you're looking for that first, you know, tier of high-priced players, are you generally going wide receivers or are you going running backs? I like the running backs because I look at volume, and so I'm looking for a, a wide receiver, uh, running back who is going to be. If I'm looking at the high-priced guys, I'm looking at a running back who's going to give me um, somewhere between 15 and 20 carries. You know, hopefully 20 carries plus. And he's also going to catch or have at least five targets out of the backfield. So he's going to get me 20 to 25 touches a game, somewhere in that neighborhood. So it's all about volume for me. So if a guy like Le'Veon Bell, and at this point in the week, it's Tuesday night, you know, you know, for both of us, it doesn't even, it doesn't, we don't know if Le'Veon's going to play this week, right? So, but a guy like him with his skill set, he can run the ball 20 to 25 times a game and he can catch you know, five balls out of the backfield for a significant amount of yardage. Now on DraftKings, that's huge. Every time a running back or any player catches the ball, it's a point per reception, right? So you get points every time someone catches a ball. So a running back that's going to is going to be your, you know, a workhorse and carry the ball on first and second down, and it's also going to be out there for third down passing situations is huge in my opinion. So right. that's why guys like Le'Veon Bell and Duke, uh, David Johnson, and this week especially with, uh, with uh, Mark Ingram being suspended, Alvin Kamara and Ezekiel Elliott, those guys are so valuable and so high-priced because they have the opportunity not only to run the ball 20-plus times, but to also catch the ball out of the backfield because they're on the field pretty much every single down. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second um, because I actually go the opposite way. I go for the high-priced wide receivers first. Um, I find that you can get value 
in sort of the middle middle grounds for running backs. Like, for example, a guy like Derrick Henry, right? Uh, mm-hmm. who's going to get bulk of the carries for Tennessee. They like to run the RPO, so he's going to be heavily involved. I mean, they're not like an air-it-out type offense. He's sort of in this middle ground where he's uh, 5,400 for the week. Um, you know, his opponent's defense is ranked pretty low, and I feel like the difference between him and Alvin Kamara, who's 8,500, you know, is not that crazy. I do find that there's a major difference in the top echelon wide receivers. If you get past um, Brown, Beckham, uh, Hopkins, and even to some extent Julio Jones, I I think there's a major drop-off after that. Um, But that's just my personal opinion. And I wanted to play devil's advocate against you. Yeah, so I... uh, It it really just depends on the week, in my opinion, but... I like to find value at wide receiver because it's more difficult. I think it's more difficult on a week-to-week basis to find more value at the running back position. Um, but it, again, it's all week dependent for me. It all depends on matchups. I look at you know, you know the uh, the DVOA of the defense that they're up against. You know what corn, you know cornerback wide receiver matchups. Now, if I think that you know someone like uh, for example like uh, Stefan Diggs, right? He is, you know, obviously everyone knows who he is. He's priced at 6300 this week, and he's got a matchup in San Francisco. Not terrible on paper, but Stefan Diggs is the type of guy, uh, according to the stats and research out there, um, you know, kind of next-level stats, that Stefan Diggs is the type of guy who's very cornerback dependent on his matchup. So he's the type of guy that if he's up against a top elite, <clears throat> excuse me, cornerback, he's going to struggle that week. And that's why, you, you know, and a guy like, Antonio Brown is pretty much matchup proof. It just doesn't matter who's guarding him. He's going to catch the ball. He's going to get his. He's going to get his volume. He's going to get his yardage. It just doesn't matter. A guy like Des Bryant last year, especially, you know, he's very cornerback dependent. It just depends who's going to either shadow him or cover him. You know, most most of the game. So you kind of got to look at these stats. Um, that's why it's kind of take. You know. Daily fantasy has kind of evolved so much when it comes to statistics because there's so much data out there now over the last couple of years where you can really dive in and drive yourself crazy, right? But I think those things are super important. So if you find a great matchup, uh, like a guy like, uh, you know, maybe a guy like, uh, let's see, down here on the wide receiver list. But if you can find a guy, you know, maybe like a Keelan Cole this week, you know, he's only 3,800 or a John Ross at 3,900. You know, I haven't, it's only Tuesday, so I haven't really done my cornerback wide receiver matchups, but a guy, a guys like them where they have a lot of upside, especially with DD Westbrook going down. I mean, uh, sorry, Marquise Lee going down uh, last week, you know, they're going to step up. There's value a wide receiver a lot of the time. And so for me, I'm looking at where can I find the value on a week to week basis? And it's generally for me, and it's only my approach. It's going to be a wide receiver or tight end. Gotcha. All right. So, um, so you're never really spending big money on tight ends or defenses. Can we just agree on that? Like I've never really spent money on Gronkowski or Zach Ertz. Uh, or, and I never, ever – and I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this. I've never, ever spent top dollar on the number one defense on the board, correct? I mean sometimes it's just the optimal play. Like the defense on the board – like this week, 
the best defense on the board, like the most expensive defense, in my opinion, is probably going to be the heavy, the, the most owned defense, uh, if not top two or three. And it could be a perfect spot. Like I think that, and this is just my hot take, and I, I don't I don't really know what I'm talking about in terms of sports betting, but Baltimore is a seven point favorite against Buffalo at home. I think with Buffalo naming Peterman as the starter, I think it sets up so nicely for the Ravens to have a couple turnover, you know, a couple turnover uh, recoveries, uh, whether that's interceptions or fumbles, and uh, and really take advantage of this terrible. I mean, th- this Buffalo team is so bad. Well, they're priced. I mean, they are so bad. Yeah. Well, they're 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 the number one price defense this week at thirty eight hundred. I just never right, felt so comfortable. I'm in this specific instance, in this specific instance, I might be inclined to have Baltimore in every lineup. I'm just that. That's how. That's how low I am on the Buffalo Bills this year in general. They might not win a game. They'll win a game. I don't think they're a Cleveland Browns bad of last year. Um, I mean, I think they'll win a game. I mean, obviously... I don't know. If I listen. I don't know, but I'm saying they might. There's. They might not win a game. That's how bad they are. Lashawn McCoy could say. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go out there and get hit 30 times a game for you guys. Are you insane? He might be by game nine. He might wrap it up. You know, to to to, to preserve him, his body. You never know. You know, I just think Buffalo is just that bad. I hear that. Um, I mean, and we're gonna get into this in a second. But for me, I always have more faith in the offensive players because they control their own destiny in terms of points more. Um, so. I'll try and spend at max, at max, you know, on, on an average week, I'm saying, um, you know, 3,000 to 3,100 on a defense. Like, to me, Cincinnati's defense, um, you know, screams at me at, at 2,700 for the week. They're playing against the Colts. Andrew Luck's playing for the first time in a while. He's a little turnover prone. I mean, yeah, they can give up points, but since I just I just don't think very highly of the of the Colts in general. So I mean, that would be to me more valuable than pay, than playing uh, Baltimore for a thousand dollars more. I don't know. I I agree. I mean, I don't disagree with you. I'm just pointing out the fact that I'm not saying I'm never going to play the top defense on the board. But generally, I'm spending right around three thousand dollars on my defense. Right around that end of the, like, kind of the middle of the road. Like, I'm looking for a defense that's going to be kind of under the radar, has a good matchup, not going to be super owned. Um, you know, so for me, I, I I don't hate the I don't hate the Bengals call this week. I really I don't hate it. Um, another defense I really like this week, and I don't know why they're only priced at twenty eight hundred, is the Chargers. Who are the Chargers playing this week again? Kansas City. And it's... the Chargers are at home against Kansas City, and they're priced at twenty eight hundred. I don't hate it. I mean, they have a very strong defense, both on the outside and the inside. I, I'm not really sure why they're priced so low. They've had a couple banged up guys during the preseason, um, but it looks like most of them are going to be uh, ready to go week one. But people are high on on Mahomes. They give respect to Andy Reid. Like I, I can I can see it, I can see it. But anyway, that that segues us into you know uh, the the latter part of what we wanted to talk about was the best value plays for Week One. So we've touched on it a little bit, but let's go down the line in terms of uh, we'll start with QB 
And by value, we're talking about like mid, you know, mid price range, mid to low price range, somewhere around the 55, well, let's call it 5,500 mark for the week. Um, who Who's your, you know, best value play at QB this week? So I have three written down here um, in my notes because I knew you were going to ask me who my favorite plays were going to be. So Did you research on it? I did a little bit of research. Uh, again, it's only Tuesday, so I haven't really, you know, you know, done it too much. But on the surface level, the three, <clears throat> excuse me, the three quarterbacks that stick out to me: Andy Dalton at fifty-eight hundred. Yep, that's who I had circled. Okay, Case Keenum at fifty-one hundred. Case Keenum fifty-one hundred at home against Seattle against the Seattle t- defense that I don't think is that good, in my opinion. They've lost a lot of players. Um, I still think that DraftKings hasn't really adjusted the Seattle pricing yet. They're still thinking of them as uh, 2015, 2014 Seattle Seahawks. And then my third play is a little bit more expensive, but I really like the matchup here, and it's Phillip Rivers at home against the Kansas City Chiefs at 6,400. So those are uh, two two middle guys and one on the, the the high middle, I would say. So I like you have Dalton um, at fifty eight hundred is probably be the best play if you want to go somewhat value for QB, and if you want to go a little bit higher, um, I would actually say Marcus Mariota at sixty three um, against Miami. I, I, I don't hate Marcus Mariota. I actually in my season long leagues, I'm very high on Marcus Mariota. I just don't I, I don't buy the Dolphins one bit. So now moving on to running backs. Um who who's your best value play? Uh your two best value plays for running back. So I actually have a kind of a long list here of running back. I have a kind of a long list here of running back just depending on um what people are interested in. So I thought I'd throw out a few for the listeners. Um my favorite play of the week just looking at it kind of at a surface level real quick is, and it goes back to the whole Baltimore Ravens discussion that we had against the Bills. Uh, my favorite play of the week, just looking at it first glance, Alex Collins, 5,600 at home against the Bills. Uh, I think that it's going to be a blowout. I think that Baltimore is going to cover their, their home team. They're favored by seven, which is a big spread. Usually I like to roster running backs in situations like this where there's a, they're a big home favorite. Uh, I think Alex Collins is going to touch the ball 20 to 25 times a game, uh, this game. And I think at 5,600, you just can't, uh, I just can't, I don't see how I can get off of him. Uh-huh. Um, but again, he's not going to be in every lineup. He's going to have an allocation of percentages, right? So I'm going to probably roster him a lot, but not in every lineup. Um, my second play is, Christian McCaffrey at 6,400. He obviously, I mean, if you watch preseason, I'm sure you did. Um, he looked awesome in preseason. It really looks like the Panthers are going to finally use CMC as the role that I thought he was going to have last year, where I totally uh, took a took a uh, bomb on my season-long league because I took Christian McCaffrey so high last year. Um, but it looks like this year they're finally going to uh, finally going to give him the ball both in the between the tackles and also on the outside when they're throwing on third down. So those are my two favorite. I don't know if you want to step in and give me your two 
I, favorites, and I can kind of continue. I actually like Al. I liked Alex Collins. Um, as I mentioned before, I like Derrick Henry against the uh, the Dolphins. Um, but the other guy on, if you really want to go uh, super value, uh, the other running back on the Ravens, um, Javaris Allen, uh, is priced at forty two hundred. And I mean, I can see him getting a late, a late garbage touchdown. Um, and at forty two hundred, I think that's actually a, a really good good play because let's let's face it the uh, the Baltimore passing attack is not what I would call, um, you know, s- super super powerful. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that uh, I don't I don't hate it. I just think that Alex, Alex Collins is probably going to be the guy. Um, you know, that's just kind of, kind of where I'm at, but, uh, listen, I, I don't hate, I don't hate, uh, Javaris Allen, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, he went to the best school in the country, you know, for college. So for me, a fellow Trojan university of Southern California guy, I'm never going to say don't roster him. You know, I'm always <laughs> going to support my Trojans. There you go. There you go. Wide receiver who, who stands out? Before we get into wide out, I just want to point out a couple different guys at running back. Uh, I think Kamara is going to be super chalky, 8,500. Uh, Burkhead, if he can finally get healthy, I think will be very heavily owned at 4,200. Uh, if Le'Veon doesn't play, Connor is obviously going to be super heavily owned at 4,500. Um, Alfred Morris is interesting at 3,600. I don't know what's going to happen there. He may, uh, get, the, the he may get the starting spot, I think. Yeah, well, with the injury to, to Jarek McKinnon, we just don't know what the allocation of touches is going to be. But uh, Morris could be interesting at 3600 I mean, Breda is more expensive and looks like he probably gets a start. But Morris at 3600 is interesting, uh, at least just to take a look at. And then my last, I wanted to point out one last guy, uh, Lamar Miller at 5200 You know, Lamar Miller last year, I think in weeks four through eight, when uh, Deshaun Watson was going on a tear, <laughs> I mean, he was a guy who you could basically get a touchdown out of almost every week during that stretch, and he was almost—he was probably getting close to 100 total scrimmage yards, if not more, uh, during those weeks. So it's just something to keep an eye on, with, especially with the running back, Deontay Foreman, uh, Foreman, who is on IR. So they're really thin at running back there. So that's interesting to look at as well. I agree with a lot of—I agree with a lot of those. Um, definitely, definitely looked at Lamar Miller a little bit. Um, I do think the Patriots' defense is a little bit better than than they were last year, uh, but obviously the Le'Veon Bell situation is something to um, monitor because then uh, Connor, James Connor, for sure. Um, yeah, but yeah, and, no, and the I other agree. one, and I know it's the Browns, but like Carl Pittsburgh's defense isn't the classic Pittsburgh defense, and Carlos Hyde at forty five is not terrible either. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's one of those sneaky plays. I mean, he could have two touchdowns in 95 yards, you know. They could give him the ball a lot. And, um, you know, the only – the only he's not going to get third down work. Duke Johnson is obviously going to be, you know, in there on third down. Um, I just don't know how it's going to go. I think in the first few weeks, Hyde is probably going to be the bell cow um, with Nick Chubb you know, as uh, as he progresses through the season, it's probably going to get more and more work. Also, I wanted to say one more thing. I don't know if I'm really on Derrick Henry. 
I'm just concerned about Deion Lewis. I'm very concerned about about that. I think that Deion Lewis is going to take a lot more away than people think. Maybe, maybe. Um, I just liked him for the for the for the price tag. But even yeah, fifty four hundred Derrick Henry, I think is good value for sure. Uh, the other two guys before we go to wide receiver that that if you want to go a little bit more expensive but aren't shelling out top top dollar, uh, Joe Mixon uh, at sixty one hundred and uh, Dalvin Cook at sixty two hundred. Somebody who I like a lot this year in general. Yeah, if he can stay healthy, I think he's great. Um, he's got a good matchup against San Francisco at home, so it just depends how many times they're going to actually let him carry the ball after being out all last season with you know that that bad injury. Um, and uh, that was Cook and Mixon. You, you you've heard it. it's been a theme throughout the show. I mean, I I love the Bengals this week. Uh, all the offensive players on the Bengals. So uh, Mixon is definitely someone I'm taking a closer look at at 6100. All right, so now to finally go on to wide receivers, um, there's a couple that I find that I play a lot uh, just because I, I like their home run hitting potential at the price that they're at. I'm just curious to know who you have first because I, I can almost guarantee that there's a little bit of overlap. I mean, my first, I, yeah, I mean, my favorite play just based off pure matchup is probably uh, Antonio Brown. Um, that's probably number one, just as a, uh, expensive guy. Uh, I think Roethlisberger tends to not do as well away and this game's in Cleveland. So you got to worry about that a little bit, but Brown just seems to have AB just seems to have the Cleveland Browns number like every time he plays them. Right. But, so, he's, but he's priced at 86. So it's like, so I'm he's sure. expensive. Yes. Uh, yeah. He's going to be very popular. My favorite play of the week, probably in terms of a middle, like higher, uh, he's actually the fourth highest uh, priced guy on the slate is Keenan Allen. Um, I think that, again, I think the Chargers are going to have kind of a big day, and I think Keenan Allen is good. Keenan Allen's going to, you know, reap some of the benefits there. Um, those are my, those are probably the two. You know, these are two of the top four guys, so it's not no genius there. Um, if we're talking about digging into wide receivers who are kind of uh, middle to bottom tier, I think that uh, my two favorite plays are Emmanuel Sanders at 5,000 against the Seahawks at home. Again, I don't think the Seahawks are, are defense is that great. I like Obviously, that one. DT at 57. Yeah, DT at 5,700 is great too, Demarius Thomas. Um, and, you know, guys like John Ross at 3,900, I think, are, you know, are good value. Uh, Keelan Cole at 3,800. You know, some of these Jacksonville guys, we just don't know how the splits are going to be in Jacksonville right now based on the injuries. But, um, you know, those are kind of some of the guys that I put together here. But one guy that sticks out to me, who I think a lot of people are going to be off of because he has such a difficult matchup this week and it could be a great contrarian play, is Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, he has the tough, probably the toughest matchup this, this week, but he has, he's the type of guy at 7,000. It, it's interesting because 
at 7,000, he has the ability to really have a big day. Even, you know, even if he has a really tough matchup, he has the ability to take it to the house twice for 100 yards plus. So you never know with him. He's a superstar. So he, could, he has that kind of home run hitting potential. Well, you don't have to convince me twice on Odell Beckham Jr. being one of the biggest <laughs> Odell Beckham fanboys uh, on this earth. The guys who I have, there, there are really two, um, two, maybe three. Um, Chris Hogan uh, at 6,100 against um, Houston. Uh, don't love their their secondary situation. Um, and, and Tom Brady is Tom Brady. Uh the other one is, you know, on the opposite side of uh, the opposite sideline is Will Fuller. I love playing Will Fuller. The guy runs go route after go route, and he's at fifty one hundred. Um, Patriots again, secondary is a little bit of an issue. Uh, Deshaun Watson likes to air it out. Obviously. Uh, a staple of Bill Belichick is take away the best option, opponent's team's best option, and that's DeAndre Hopkins. Will Fuller is a guy to me who I, I always fall in love with. Um, he was Those were my two favorites. Um, then there is uh, Corey Davis uh, for Tennessee. Again, betting on Tennessee. Uh, we mentioned John Ross. And the other guy who's a little bit pricier – um, is Adam Thielen. I mean, it, it, if you're getting points per reception, that guy was a reception monster. So th- those those are my guys that I have circled. Yeah, so Fuller, you don't have to ever really convince me to play Fuller. I mean, the guy is just insane, his athletic ability. But the only concern with him is he has been dealing with a hamstring issue. Right, so so assuming but. he's good to go because right now he's listed as questionable. So it's something to, to obviously right. monitor before you have to lock in your your lineups. But to me, I, I, I love playing Will Fuller. Yeah, who doesn't? I mean, uh, one week I think if I played Will Fuller instead of some other scrubs that I had that week, I mean, I might, I might have won a big, uh, big tournament. So – you don't have to convince me. The guy's just unbelievable. Um, his speed, uh, his playmaking ability. I think it's a really one a great one-two punch there uh, in Houston with uh, with DeAndre Hopkins and uh, that whole offense. To me, is just you know Lamar Miller is Lamar Miller. He's not that great, but uh, that whole offense with Deshaun Watson and those two guys that are at wide receiver are really. I think they're just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, going to your to your pick of Corey Davis, uh, I'm all I'm big on Tennessee this year. I, I love Mariota for season long. I love Corey Davis for season long. I think that with the new uh, with the new coaching staff there, they're going to kind of open up the playbook a little bit, and Mariota is really going to grow this year. So I think Corey Davis is going to get a lot of uh, growth. Uh, I think in college he was just such a stud. Um, I, you know, watching film of him in college. So I'm, I'm a huge Corey Davis fan in general, whether that's fantasy or not. Um, but you know, he, he doesn't have the best matchup, but again, Corey Davis is the type of guy who can catch two touchdowns, you know, and, uh, you know, take you, take you to the top of the leaderboard. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm in on Tennessee, especially this week, moving on to tight end. Um, for me, the va- the big value play is uh what's his name uh, Jack Doyle 
Um, Andrew Luck loves throwing the tight ends. He's 3,600. I think that's the best play of the week. What about you? Um, I don't hate it, but my favorite play of the week is probably Austin Safarian Jenkins. Uh, I think he has the best matchup. The Giants are just so bad at defending the tight end position. Not great. Um, they're, they're just they're abysmal at defending the tight end. It's kind of like whoever's playing the Giants and the Cleveland Browns, let's just roster the tight end. You know, so Vance McDonald's a little banged up at 3,200. If he wasn't banged up, I'd say Vance McDonald's an ASJ. Uh, I do like the Doyle call, and uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, in terms of reaching for value, and then obviously you have Gronk at 6,900, which is never a bad play. Um, and if Jordan Reed is injured or hurt, I, I think that Vernon Davis, you know, is always in play for me um, at, at 3,900. Yep. And on to defense. Pick your one defense. Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, it can be any defense. It doesn't matter about salary. Um, val- value play. Your favorite value play defense. Listen, this could blow up in my face completely. And again, this is the the fun part about choosing defenses because they're so, uh, you know, the, the the variance is so high when it comes to defense, but. I think that uh, I really like the Chargers at home against KC. I think, um, listen, I love Mahomes. Don't get me wrong. I love Mahomes. I love that whole KC team. I think they're explosive. I think the Chargers defense is good, really good, actually. Um, and at 2,800, I just am going to have a hard time not playing them if I'm looking to fill something between 2,500 and 3,000, even though they, they could definitely give up some points for sure. It's a very explosive team they're playing, but they have that good of a defense where I think at 2,800, it's kind of difficult not to roster them. But again, like I said at the beginning of the show, Ravens against Ball, uh, against Buffalo at 3,800, yeah. probably my favorite play of the week. Yeah, that's tough to pass up. For me, if you're just going value, I'm looking at either the Bengals uh, at 27. Hundred or um, and probably what I'll end up doing is the Titans at twenty nine hundred against the Dolphins. Yeah, I like both of those calls too. I think the Colts. Uh, you do, we don't know how Andrew Luck's shoulder is, so it could definitely be a situation where he's just not throwing the ball deep, and his uh, average uh, average throw is five to seven yards, which is kind of what we've been seeing in the preseason. So, uh, in terms of that, I just don't know how good he's going to be, and if Andrew Luck is not performing at a at least if he's not operating at least at 75 percent um at game speed the real game uh regular season game i just think that uh it could open up a lot of value there for the Bengals, and it could be a big day for them all right and uh so that's our draft kings week one preview uh ira thanks so much for coming on and and uh giving uh the listeners some wisdom i have taken up a tremendous amount of your time, and so thank you for being generous. And we're going to have to do this sometime soon, um, throughout and throughout the course of the NFL season. And hopefully, I'll be able to actually see you in person out in LA sometime in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, let me know. We can talk uh, more strategy when we see each other in person. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Uh, oh, oh, one last thing before I let you go. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you in the team Kobe Bryant camp or are you a Kobe stan or are you welcoming LeBron James to Los Angeles? I mean, listen, I, 
for me, I, I'm an LA guy, but I'm not necessarily like a huge Laker fan in general. Um, but I just think that if you're a Laker fan and that you're diehard Lakers, you have to just embrace it for what it is. You know, it's kind of like if you're a New York Knicks fan and anybody signs there, like if LeBron went there, I mean, you're going to, you're going to welcome him with open arms. It's not even a question. Right. So I just think I'm more high. Like I like watching the Lakers. I liked watching them last year. I thought they had a lot of potential. I'm also a very big, like daily fantasy basketball guy. Um, so for me, I love the core that the Lakers have around him and I love Brandon Ingram. Like I love all those, those young guys in LA. So I think that LeBron working with those guys could be, I mean, I I hate to say it, but I, I really think that they have a shot to win the championship. Like, Let's, these guys, let's, these let's young not guys, get crazy here. I mean, listen, man, I think that the <laughs> young guys are a lot better than everyone gives them credit for. They just didn't have a lot of, they didn't have anyone to really hold them together last year, but they were playing pretty strong towards, you know, middle, late season, late of the season. Uh, I'll have to talk you off this ledge uh, another time, uh, but tell, uh, but you, listen, I, tell I, your boy. I'm an L.A. guy. I'm an L.A. guy, so I'm a homer, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, I just like watching good basketball. For me, it's all about the game. It's not about the team so. I like watching young teams like the Lakers, and I like watching the Sixers. Like, I just like young, fast, fun teams to watch. I hear you. Tell um, our boy Rob Carpellis to stop defacing the um, the murals in L.A. because of his uh, Kobe <laughs> stance, all right? Uh, just tell him yeah. it's not worth going to jail for vandalism. I agree with you 100%. And listen, you know, LeBron LeBron is going to be great in L.A. Like, I just think everyone just needs to embrace him because it's, it's going to be a fun season. All right. Uh, Ira, thanks again so much. And I will spe- be hopefully speaking with you uh, throughout the entire NFL season. Speak to you later, man. Great. Thank- thanks for having me on. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks again to my man, Ira Silver. Uh, from Los Angeles uh, for his generosity in terms of time. Uh, A lot of good insight for your weekly, uh, I should say, week one fantasy lineups. And that's this latest installment of the For the Love of the Game podcast. Take us out, Joey Crack. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube